I'm Deborah Grace, author of the book Crucifying the Bible, available on Amazon, and you're listening to the Tall Friendly Atheist Ad podcast. We are victim of illusion. You are listening to the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. And the next 30 seconds are brought to you by our album Invisible Light, available at our Bandcamp website. This is Damien, the tall, friendly atheist dad. Coming to you with another reading of Kent Hovind's doctoral dissertation. The last reading I did, I got up to, I think, page 15 of the... of the uh, of Kent Hovind's uh, doctoral, doctoral dissertation from Patriot University uh, in the chapter titled The History of Evolution where he makes the case that um, evolution came from Satan, uh, not from Charles Darwin. So just have me think about what Kent Hoven wrote for his uh, for his dissertation. Um, if that's what gets a dissertation, then I should put my blog up uh, to a uh, to a degree mill to get a uh, to get a PhD as well because if if that got a PhD, um, heck, you know, I think my my book, uh, the best religion for the task at hand should also <laughs> be nominated, uh, should be submitted to a, uh, to a university to get a PhD. Um, the other thing is with his whole thing about, um, Satan coming up with the, uh, the idea of evolution, um, like, sure, um, this is one of those things that may be unprovable, but then you have to then, Propose a mechanism for how the original thought in from a supernatural being got transmitted down to the uh, human being in the form of Charles Darwin to uh, for it to be propagated. And one one of my one of my friends on Twitter, I'll just give him. Let me find out who it was so I can give him a quick shout out because I think he did make a he did make a good point. Uh, evidence, please. Uh, who goes by the handle at please evidence and he brings up the uh the thought exercise where um evolution is real because satan found a way to make organisms evolve in his perpetual fight against the perfection of god's creation or something that will be a fun twist so yeah that's a that's actually an interesting um interesting scenario so i'm going to start from page 15 no, there's page 15 so, three, two, one. When Satan realized he could not take over the throne of God, he decided to destroy what God had created instead. Satan, in the form of a serpent, brought the doctrine of evolution to the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3, 5, the serpent says to Eve, Ye shall be as gods, 
Pride is the same thing that Satan used to cause the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Satan was jealous of Adam and Eve and their close union with God. The same is true today. Satan wants your attention any time you try to serve the Heavenly Father. When Adam and Eve fell for the line that they could become as gods, the doctrine of evolution was successfully introduced to the world. Man's pride and ego had been appealed to, and he was no longer content with the status God had given him. Alright, so few things here that I think uh, Kent has gotten wrong. Um, firstly, Satan in the form of a serpent. Um, that isn't necessarily true. Um, Satan is not mentioned at all in the book of Genesis. And the only people who say that the snake in the Garden of Eden was Satan were later Christians uh, retroactively theologizing that it was that it was Satan. Um, it, like the text in Genesis just says the serpent was the craftiest of all the creatures, um, as if the serpent was like the was just a normal serpent. There's nothing. There's no supernatural uh, attribution uh, that was you know that was Satan himself. Um, and I think Satan only is mentioned by name in, I think the first time is in 1 Samuel, if I'm not mistaken, where um, uh, in David's census, which is, uh, and then uh, to say that pride, um, Adam and Eve felt pride, the problem is that they couldn't have because it was the fruit that gave them the knowledge to do evil. They couldn't be guilty of pride because they didn't know what pride was. Just trying to think. It's a little bit like leaving a dog in a room full of food and then complaining that the dog takes a dump in the corner when you left the food in the room with the dog and then blaming the dog for doing a poo. Well, if he didn't leave the dog in the room with the food, he couldn't have done a poo without eating the food kind of thing. So it's like blaming the dog for the result that you set him up to, well, that he couldn't have done without your, uh, yeah. So, but anyway, with, without eating the, um, without eating the fruit, um, they couldn't know what pride was, let alone that it was bad. Um, and this line about, um, Satan being jealous of Adam and Eve in their close union with God. Well, the thing is though, that Satan had that close union with God already in heaven before he was, uh, before he was kicked out. So um, there's no need to... That line just doesn't make any any theological sense. Um, and Satan being jealous of the uh, of the union humans have with... humans have with God. Um, no, that's... Uh, just trying to think how that would... No, no, it just doesn't... <laughs> Doesn't seem to like it makes sense in a very fundamentalist way, but in a, in a literal kind of in a literal kind of real world data way, um, no. And falling for the line that they become they could become gods, um, yeah, that's uh, no. All what Satan has said was so. You did say that your your minds would be open, you'll be like gods, but you say you'll surely not die in this day, and they didn't die. But the idea that you know evolution was introduced at this time. That's like, 
Oh, boy. Anyway, where did it go from there? Genesis 4.3 says, And in the process of time it came to pass, that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Cain knew better. God wanted a blood sacrifice. God had shed innocent blood to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. Cain knew God wanted a bloody animal sacrifice, a lamb to be precise. Cain thought that he could get favor with God by bringing the work of his own hands. Cain promoted the evolutionary doctrine that man can progress by his own efforts. It was Cain's pride that caused him to disregard God's command to bring a lamb. So when evolution was successfully introduced to the world, man's pride and ego had been appealed to and he was no longer content with the status. Um, no, if you actually look at the theory of evolution, evolution just basically says that we are the latest in a line of organisms who were at one stage themselves the latest in their own line of organisms. Um, again, we're a part of nature, not apart from nature. And... Just think, what else? Yeah, so like this, um, actually, evolution teaches us we're monkeys with the different different software. That's kind of the uh, so you can hardly say that's promoting promoting ourselves as you know above. It's actually kind of making us. It's actually putting us back into the uh, the natural world box rather than separating us out. So if we wanted to be proud, we would actually go with uh, a theology based uh, hypothesis that says we are separate. Um, and I, I said this line to a, uh, to, to a creationist once that you yeah, humans are not the fastest. We're not the tallest. We're not the strongest. Well, actually, we, we're the deadliest and we are the most intelligent, but that's about it. We don't live the longest. We can't fly. All, all that kind of stuff. So where it says here that Cain promoted the evolutionary doctrine that man can progress by his own efforts. That is not evolution at all. Um, that is, so if that's what he feels evolution is, he has got things completely backwards. Um, I think he's been told that you know, numerous times, but, um, anyway, so let me just, uh, oh, and the other thing about God wanting a blood sacrifice, um, I don't know where in the text it actually says that God wanted a blood sacrifice. And then he's got the, he's got this line where it says, God had shed innocent blood to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. Where does it say that? Where has that... Where did... Uh, unless you want to say Jesus, but then Jesus hadn't died at that time. So it's... Well, this is theologically all over the place, but then Cain knew God wanted a bloody animal sacrifice. Um, this, must be one of the, this must be one of those things that he can't... No, he knows he can't prove. Anyway, let me just... Uh, when God rejected his offer, he became angry at God. Since he could not hurt God, he took out his anger on God's servant, his brother. In pride, he slew his brother because his brother's sacrifice was accepted. We are told later in the New Testament the reason why Cain killed his brother. In 1 John 3.12, we read, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. This is still true today. 
anyone that does good in this world is hated by those who do evil. Cain's efforts to evolve closer to God met with disaster. Cain was driven out from his family to wander in the world. His descendants apparently continued rejecting God. Man full of pride will seldom admit that he is wrong. Oh lordy! Cain's efforts to evolve closer to God. No, he didn't try evolve closer to God. Oh boy, this is a... I... I just wish... I suppose, like, I can't say I wish science education was better because I think we're actually doing a um, a fairly decent job as it is. Uh, I think what the problem... Yes. I suppose like when you're determined to believe that the book you have in front of you is 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 right, um, despite all the the data around you, then you will come up with it anyway to straw man and uh So I will agree that you're in pride he he killed his brother because his brother's sacrifice was was accepted. But that's uh yeah. But then his ascendants apparently continued rejecting God. Man full of pride will seldom admit that he is wrong. Oh, I can't. I can't. I can't. The evil in the world continued to get worse until God had to destroy the inhabitants of the earth with a flood. When the flood was over, Satan began to work on Noah's descendants. The story of evolution continues in Genesis 9.22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. Ham, instead of doing the wise thing of covering up his father's nakedness, went out and laughed about it to his two brothers, evidently. This resulted in a curse being placed upon Ham's son, Canaan. Ham's pride caused him to try and make his father look bad. People who are always cutting down others are usually motivated by pride. They think making someone else look worse will somehow make themselves look better. And sorry for the pause there. He's actually got the words some and how separated, not together. So they think making someone else look worse will somehow. Uh, Genesis 9.22. Um... I would urge people who don't know this to actually look up what the ancient Jews uh, actually believed about this whole uh, this whole affair. Um, there are some very weird um, interpretations of the story. I think Rashi uh, gives a um, a very uh, NSFW uh, version of the story um, involving either. His dad, his his mum, or or an animal. Um, that's uh. But saying that the story of evolution continues in Genesis nine twenty two. Um, I don't know how the story of genetic replication continues when you've just literally wiped out all of the almost all of the species that you have on Earth, or almost all of the samples of the species you have on Earth. It's like, and one of the things I was actually thinking about was, uh, um, I think is jackals or hyenas, um, they show a lot of uh, inbreeding, and we can gather that their 
numbers got down to about 6,000. So it's interesting that, like, we know that jackals, sort hyenas got down to a breeding pool of about 6,000, and they show, you know, uh, deficit, like, deficiencies in their, in their genes. But if you get humans down to eight, um, there's no problems at all. Um, and this library says that people who are always cutting down others are usually motivated by pride. Um, I find that interesting coming from Kent Hoven himself, whose uh, um, mo- some of his most quotable lines are, you know, your grandfather was a rock. Or, um, oh, son, that's the most stupidest religion ever. I'm sorry if my Kent Hoven impersonation is really bad. But yeah, um, you know, like, Kent has a way of making people. Oh, then he has his uh, video, his video series where like whack an atheist Wednesday, you know, get some science into your son, and then like he, you know, he whacks a, a SpongeBob figurine with with a hammer. Um, it's like so. It's interesting that you know in in, in his dissertation, he's you know he he looks down upon that behavior, but in real life, he does it himself. Anyway, back to the. The story continues in Genesis 10. The people had been commanded by God to spread out and replenish the earth. Some decided instead to rebel against God's authority and exalt themselves. Genesis 10, 8-9 says, And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, Even as a Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord... The word before in that verse means in the face of the Lord or against the Lord. Nimrod's rebellion against the Lord caused him to begin construction of the Tower of Babel. We see this tower mentioned in Genesis 11, 1 to 9. I'm sorry to uh, slow down because that is the first time I've ever heard of him saying that Nimrod built the Tower of Oh, jeez. And the whole earth was of one language, of one speech, and it came to pass as a journey from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city, and a tower whose top may, re- whose top may reach under heaven. And let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them. And therefore it is name therefore is the name of it called Babel because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. Uh, this tower represented man's desire to exalt himself to the seat of God. The pride of the rebels caused the people to want to disobey God. They wanted to stay together and build big cities, even though God had commanded them to spread out and fill the earth. Babylon was one of the first cities built after the flood. It still exists today. The people reluctantly spread out after God judged them by confusing the languages. At this point, they spoke all different languages because the Lord confused their speech. I'm sure for several generations, 
they told stories about how it used to be in the good old days when there was this one big city and everyone was one happy family. Um, no, the, the actual uh, story of the Tower of Babel is actually a, um, from the best of my understanding, it's actually a polemic against Babylon. So where it says Babel, it's, uh, yeah, it's sort of like a, um, that is a reference to Babylon, and it's sort of like a, uh, I think the in-joke is that uh, the people from Babylon, Babylon, and apparently the, the, the joke works in both English and, and Hebrew, or Aramaic, or whichever language it was, but um, yeah, um, this has etiological myth written all over it, um, but yeah, it's interesting how um, this tower represents a man's desire to exalt himself to the seat of God. Um, but I find it interesting that God had to come down and see what we were doing rather than just omnisciently knowing everything. Um, but the good old days when there was just one big city and everyone was one happy family, which means God doesn't want us to have happy families. As we trace the history of evolution, it becomes slightly confusing at this point because there are going to be several different branches on the tree. I will focus on just two of the main branches. When the people left the Tower of Babel, they took their false religion of evolution with them. They still hoped that they could exalt themselves to godhood. For the sake of the study, we shall call them Eastern and Western branches of evolution. In the European community, actually in the area of Asia Minor and the country of Turkey, we have the Western branch of evolution. In the countries of China, Japan and India, the eastern branch of evolution developed. The branches actually developed simultaneously. Oh lordy. Oh. The flood was about 2400 BC, which makes it about 4400 years ago. The Tower of Babel was probably built within the first three to 500 years after the flood. Let's just assume that it was about 1900 BC when the Tower of Babel was built. The people were scattered from the tower. Many of the people, in their pride, still tried to find some way to become their own god. This is the basic motive behind evolution. Oh lordy, the doctrine just gets better and better and better. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't Charles Darwin who, uh, had the idea of uh, of evolution it was it looks like evolution has been um <laughs> so the the theory of genetic replic of genetic diversity in populations of self-replicating organisms has been an ancient idea since and it's good to know that the chinese and japanese um they developed evolution uh, as well as the europeans it's like oh lordy this is uh and the basic motive behind evolution, um, no, um, talk to, just go to Biologos and you will see plenty of Christians who believe the theory of evolution. Um, <laughs> the, oh, man, this is, sorry, this is just, this is just bad. For the next several hundred years following the Tower of Babel, there were many evolutionary type myths passed down from generation to generation. In the year 640 BC, a fellow named Thales was born in Asia Minor. At some point in his life, 
he began the first of the modern evolutionary doctrines. He said that man had evolved from animals. Animals had come from plants. Plants had come from inorganic elements. And all of these had come from water. Anaximander, one of the students of Thales, enlarged on this theory slightly. Anaximander lived from 611 to 547 BC. He taught Pythagoras, who is famous for the Pythagorean theorem using mathematics. At this point, there was a split in the evolutionary doctrine. One group became atheistic and said that there was no God, with a capital G. Pythagoras started the group that became pantheistic. He said there had to be a God based on the design he saw in nature, but the God that he saw was the God in nature. The idea of limiting God to the natural elements is the underlying theme of pantheism. He lived from 580 to 489 BC. He believed that nature is divine. There are basically three types of religion in the world. The first type is atheism, which says that there is no God. Psalm 14.1 calls the people who believe there is no God fools. The second type of religion is pantheistic, which says that nature is God. This group says that the universe is in control of itself and knows what it wants to accomplish. Pantheism imparts a divine nature to the elements. The third type of religion says that God is outside of, above, and beyond his creation. He is not limited by his creation in any way. This is the almighty, infinite God of the Bible. All right, now, I don't know for sure um, if what he's saying about Anaximander and Thales and Pythagoras is correct. Um, the dates seem to line up with my rough understanding. So, look, even... But, look, even if I let... Like, actually, I reckon we could scratch everything he said about those uh, those people and the, the this document would make no, no less sense. Um... So the idea of panthe atheism, pantheism, and and uh, you know, and God is oh boy. That's so. Not only is he woefully uninformed about evolution, he's uninformed about religion because this is a this is the same kind of error that Frank Turek makes, where he says that you know there's only either God, there's pantheism, or there's a Atheism. It's just like, thanks. Thanks, genius. Socrates was a pantheist Greek philosopher who lived from 469 to 399 BC. Socrates did not leave many writings, but his student Plato wrote, pro pro wrote prolifically. Plato, like his teacher Socrates, was definitely a pantheist. He also believed that nature is God. Muniz, from his book Theories of the Universe, page 61, says, Plato also makes use of another an analogical pattern of thought in describing the universe as an all-inclusive living creature, one whose body is perfectly spherical and whose soul animates the whole world. In addition to this world soul, the various individual heavenly bodies are regarded by Plato as divine beings. In the writings of Plato, we have a very definite description of the great chain of being, or an order of the world's soul. 
he taught that the universe is a living creature in itself. Plato's idea was not one of ascension in evolution, but one of descending. He thought that it went from God to man and on down to the atomic particles. His idea of putting everything in a nice, neat order came from Socrates. Plato developed this further into the great chain of being. Democrates lived from 460 to 362 BC. He started a school called the Atomus School. Democrates coined the word atom. He thought that the interplay of atomic particles was all that was necessary to describe how the universe got there. The same basic idea as is taught in modern evolution. I really don't know where he's going with this. This is, um... He's, he's jumped a couple of thousand years, or if we take his interpretation, he's jumped a few thousand years to um, suddenly talk about, to complain about uh, pantheism and Greek philosophy. Um, I agree that uh, atomism was a was a thing of ancient Greece, and they're the ones who actually first, you know, realize, hold on, you know, it looks like stuff is made of even smaller stuff. Um, but say that that is modern evol what's been taught in modern evolution oh lordy oh lordy next we come to the student of plato named aristotle he lived from 384 to 322 bc aristotle developed the scale of being he believed in reincarnation which teaches that after death you would return to the to earth as a new being either higher or lower depending on how you behaved in your present life this is very similar to the modern-day Eastern religions. He developed the idea of a world soul more fully and passed it on to many more of his students. Aristotle believed in a descending order of nature. He believed in the eternal cosmos, which says that nature has always existed. He believed in spontaneous generation, which says that life arose from non-life. Aristotle is known for many scientific discoveries and no doubt had a great positive impact on the world of science. However, his God was not the God of the Bible, his God was nature. Aristotle was tutor to a man named Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was the leader of the Greek Empire of the 3rd century BC. He spread the teachings of Aristotle all around his, all around his empire. These men are all part of the Western branch of the evolutionary doctrine. The Eastern branch was also developing during this time. People had traveled from the Tower of Babel to the Eastern countries of India, Pakistan, and China. Civilizations began developing there. Beginning around 500 BC, there were at least five major religions that were developing in the East. The story gets a little confusing as we try to trace the history of evolution. Here in the Eastern branch, we again have two basic philosophies of religion. One philosophy is atheistic, saying that there is no God at all. The other philosophy again was pantheistic, saying that nature is God. Oh lordy, this is... I don't know how Wayne Knight stayed awake. Uh with with this with this i'm actually just skipping ahead to see where the next chapter actually starts 
So that was on page 18. And I'm, I've skipped in page 44. Oh, okay. So I'm finally on page 47, he gets to the religion of evolution. This is a rant. This this isn't an academic uh, an academic tome. This is uh, this is just a rant that is ill ill informed. Um, brings no new information to the uh, doesn't doesn't shed any light on anything. Um, and yeah, he just uh, just goes on and on and on about you know. Um, evolutionary theory developed in in two parts of the world even though and basically anything that is pride is evolutionary theory there's nothing here about the study of organisms and genetics and um the closest he get is when he talks about um uh so this is part about spontaneous generation life from non-life um Uh, yeah, page 21, uh, Plato's idea was not one of ascension in evolution, but one of descending. He thought it went from God to man and man down onto atomic particles. Uh, so the great chain of being. Um, so you got the part about reincarnation. I don't quite get what the reincarnation is all about. That's just a bit... Um, anyway, look, I'm going to pause it here. Yeah, so I'll start again on page 23, uh, whose opening line is, Hinduism became very popular around 600 BC. It probably began many years before that. So yeah, as we can see, that um, yeah, he's not trying to add anything new to the, the pool of knowledge. He's just trying to, he's just trying to have a rant. He's just trying to, you know, um, completely botch uh, the history of philosophy, the history of religion. Um, yeah, he doesn't seem to realise that uh, there are Christians who believe in uh, who believe sorry, who believe in, but you know who accept the theory of evolution as a um, uh, as a complete scientific theory, and it makes no difference to their theology or to their you know, to their God. It's just um, yeah. Anyway, um, good night. Look after yourselves, and I'll see you next time for part three. See ya.